Thank you for listening to Remnant Bible Fellowship. This is Brother Jonathan. It's been a couple weeks since we've done an episode, and that's because, well, uh, my wife had actually been pregnant, and so uh, we actually had the baby. And then actually on top of that, I had been sick the entire week before that with a virus that's going around um, our area. And so uh, giving, uh, I had a couple weeks off from work because of my wife giving birth to our daughter. And so took about three or four weeks of, uh, of a break because I just, you know, there's priorities that you need to tend to. And so go over some announcements, those sorts of things. We have a couple episodes that we're working on coming up on biblical faith, what it is, how it operates, and looking at the examples specifically listed in Hebrews 11, because there it says so-and-so did this by faith, by faith, by faith. And so probably dedicating a whole episode to going through Hebrews 11, going over those instances which are listed, and really just looking at it because it's said to be done by faith. And next, also in the sometime in the near future, hopefully, uh, Warren B. Smith, who I've had a phone conversation with, uh, I recommend his books, uh, Another Jesus Calling, False Christ Coming, Does Anybody Care? And he writes articles and is a freelance writer for Lighthouse Trails Research Journal. And if you were looking into doing any studying or those sorts of things regarding the New Age movement and how it's infiltrated Christianity, or even if you really have something that you're questioning, like, is this New Age or is this not, you can go to Lighthouse Trails Research Journal, their website, and you can actually Google. They have about hundreds of articles, booklets. I can't recommend their ministry enough. And Warren Smith might actually be able to do a podcast episode with us where we can talk about some of those things. But right now he's having some health issues. And also, just uh, just a couple months ago, his house actually burned down. And him and his wife have been having a hard time uh, since then. And so they're about ready to be able to be settled again, he said. So just keep them in prayer. And um, Lord willing, in the near future, whenever he gets settled and everything is back up to normal, he'll be able to come on the show and everything. So can't recommend those enough. Lighthouse Trails Research Journal and specifically his books, Another Jesus Calling, False Christ Coming, Does Anybody Care, and those sorts of things. Now, this is going to be a pretty informal episode. I usually have about 8 to 20 pages of notes to look at while I'm, while I'm recording, but I just wanted to talk about something very simple. And I'm, I'm kind of glad to be done with the series on Bible versions And it's not because it's not a profitable discussion or an important issue, but I think it can become become quite draining spiritually to take your attention off of just reading and studying the Word, praying, and the absolute importance of cleaving to Christ with purpose of heart. It can easily become a tangent and a distraction and generally just unedifying. And it's just like studying the original languages, Greek or Hebrew. There are things that are meant to be tools for Bible study and serving the Lord. And anytime those tools become the central focus in and of themselves, you will decline spiritually and begin to wither. Even like uh, discernment ministries. It's needful for every believer to learn to discern between the truth and the errors out there, especially with the New Age movement, because it's just rampant. Because there is another Jesus being propagated 
everywhere you look. There is another spirit being received by many professing Christians. Whole churches and denominations are being overthrown because they're not continuing in the truth. But don't let discernment distract you from cleaving to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not going to grow in discernment by taking your eyes off the truth. So study the original languages if you desire, and study the good works from sound discernment ministries like Lighthouse Trails, so that you can be instructed on the deception going on today. But keep your heart and mind fixed on Jesus Christ and His Word. Ephesus was a mighty fellowship. It was a mighty congregation of believers. They tested false apostles and proved them to be liars. Even Christ Himself commended their works and revelation too. He then went on to tell them to repent because they had left their first love. So don't allow yourself to become distracted from just loving the Lord and seeking Him. He'll make sure you learn what you need to. Do these things and seek the Lord. Don't do one to the exclusion of the other. Now, if you have your Bibles, which you should, and if you don't, pause it and go get it. Please turn to 2 Kings chapter 22. And while you're turning there, not on an app, just go ahead and get your Bible. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord, because we know that we have no access to you but by him, Lord, and through him, Lord. We know that Christ has become to us our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption, and that we are to be made the righteousness of God in him, Lord. We are justified through faith in Him. And we do just pray that as we look at your word, you would stir hearts, Lord. Lord, that by your spirit, you would give effect to the means which you have sent us to use, Lord. We are told to be witnesses and lights and ambassadors. And all we can do is speak your truth, bear witness to the truth, and point people to the truth, Lord. But by your Spirit, Lord, you are the one who opens hearts and minds. You are the one who enlightens their understanding, Lord. And I do just pray that you would do that now. Edify those who need to be edified, Lord. Stir those who need to be stirred, Lord. And renew them in the spirit of their minds, Lord. And that all of us with purpose of heart would cleave to you, Lord. And we would be single-eyed towards you, Lord, in all things to please you, Lord. That we would not be ashamed before you at your coming, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, to give the background of this passage in 2 Kings, start in verse, we'll start in verse 20, the last verse of the previous chapter, in 2 Kings 21, for context. Last verse of 2 Kings 21 says, talking about Ammon, and he was buried in his sepulcher in the garden of Uzzah, and Josiah his son reigned in his stead. Now, we'll read the first two verses of chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned thirty and one years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adaiah of Bosketh. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And so, kind of an introduction to the reign and the person of Josiah. Now, for some context, Josiah was the son of Ammon, 
who was the son of Manasseh. And both Ammon and his father Manasseh are said to have done evil in the sight of the Lord. They were kings over the southern tribes of Judah. And the northern tribes, the northern ten tribes, had already been deported. The Lord had really pronounced judgment upon them because there really wasn't ever a good king over the northern tribes. From Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, to the final kings, whose name escaped me at this current moment, they were all just wicked men. And so the Lord sent the king of Assyria to deport them all. And so the southern tribes were left alone at this point. And Manasseh reigned 55 years over the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom. And Ammon, his son, reigned two years after his father's death. And Ammon was only about 22 years old when he began to reign. And so, just putting this in perspective, Josiah, it is said in 2 Kings 22.1, was only eight years old when he began to reign over Judah. And actually, the people murdered his father. That means that he was probably born when his father was only about 14 or 15 years old. Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, is usually listed as one of the most wicked kings who have ruled over Judah. And it seems that the wickedness that he did over the kingdom was so bad, the Lord would not turn away from his wrath, it says in some points. And it's important to note also that in the book of Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 33, it's mentioned that near the end of his life, that is King Manasseh, he did humble himself before the Lord and seemingly tried to undo some of the damage that he had done to the kingdom. And so when you consider the fact that the majority of the previous 57 years of Judah were committed to idolatry and wickedness, it shows the life of Josiah to be all the more miraculous. Although Manasseh did try to undo as much as he could after his repentance and restoration to the throne of Judah, it obviously did very little because after his death, his son Ammon picks right up where he left off. Now, as an interesting note, the Lord himself told through a prophet what Josiah would do. And we read that in 1 Kings chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, where it says, And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. This is to the northern tribes. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. This is a false altar. And he cried against the altar and the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord. Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, that's the southern tribes, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass, when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up, so that he could not pull it in again to him. The altar also was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. That's First Kings chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. The time span is determined by some to have been about 340 years from the time of this prophecy and the time of its fulfillment. It's just another testament of the fact that the Lord knows the end from the beginning when he mentions Josiah by name and also the works that he would do. 
Now, first thing to note about Josiah, and we're going to go over what is said about Josiah, and then we're going to make some applications as to why this is important to consider at the end. One thing to note about Josiah is Josiah seeks the Lord in his youth. And before we continue on verse 3 in 2 Kings, we need to look at the parallel passage in 2 Chronicles, which adds some information. In the parallel passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verses 3 through 7, it says, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places, and the groves, and the carved images, and the molten images. And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence, and the images that were on high above them he cut down. And the groves and the carved images and the molten images he brake in pieces and made dust of them, and strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. And he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars, and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so did he in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, even unto Naphtali, with their mattocks round about. And when he had broken down the altars and the groves, and had beaten the graven images into powder, and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. So Josiah began to reign when he was about eight years old. When he was sixteen years old, that's after reigning for eight years, he began to seek the Lord. And this is very remarkable, because as far as is recorded, he may have had no real example to follow. After four years of seeking the Lord, in the twelfth year of his reign, at the age of twenty, he began to bring everything under his authority to the sole worship of the God of Israel. And what makes this even more amazing is that as far as we are aware, by what is recorded at least, he had no personal knowledge of the contents of the book of the law of Moses, at least in the written form. It had not yet been discovered in the temple, as we'll see in a minute. Now, it is possible that Josiah was influenced by one of the prophets that ministered during his reign. We know that Nahum, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and Jeremiah ministered during the reign of Josiah. And it actually says that when Jer Josiah died, Jeremiah lamented, and which possibly is a reference to the book of Lamentations. But it's unlikely that any of these prophets started him on his way to seeking the Lord, though, because, one, it's not mentioned in Scripture, and it's not right to speculate. It's also, the timeline does not line up for any of these. And two, when the book of the Law of Moses was found in the temple, not one of these prophets was consulted, but a, an obscure prophetess by the name of Huldah. But it's also possible that he was influenced by the memory of his great-grandfather, Manasseh's father, Hezekiah. He could have read in the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah, not our books in the canon of Scripture, but the actual recordings of the kingdom's history made by the scribes at the time. And he could have read of all the things that Hezekiah did in turning the kingdom to the Lord. We can't be certain, though. However, he began to seek the Lord. He sought him. And the result of Josiah's seeking the Lord was that everything under his authority was brought to the sole worship of the one true God. Now, it's at this point that he finds the he indirectly through the through those who are under his authority finds the book of the law in the temple. And so he began to reign when he was eight years old. And when he was sixteen he began to seek the Lord. And when he was twenty years old he began to purge the land of all idolatry and such things. Now, when he was twenty six years old, in the eighteenth year of his reign, 
he began to repair the temple of the Lord. So this is where we pick up in 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 3 through 20 is what we'll read. And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to repair the breaches of the house, unto carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. Howbeit there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand, because they dealt faithfully. And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king, and brought the king word again, and said, Thy servants had gathered the money that was found in the house, and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work, that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam the son of Shaphan, and Akbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the scribe, and Asahiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book, to do according to all that which is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam, and Akbor, and Shaphan, and Asahiah went unto Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom the son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college, and they communed with her, and she said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man that sent you to me, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah hath read, because they have forsaken me, and burnt incense unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be kindled against this place, and shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall ye say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard. Because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes and wept before me. I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace, and thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And they brought the king word again. It's interesting in reading that Hilkiah the high priest knew what he had found, and he gave it to be given to the king through the king's scribe, Shaphan. Shaphan pretty much tells the king, Hilkiah gave me a book, and he read it to the king. And Josiah's reaction to hearing the law of Moses illustrates perfectly for us the truth that is written later by the Paul the Apostle, which says in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, by the law is the knowledge of sin. And when Josiah is confronted with the whole counsel of God's word, he has shown all the sins of the kingdom of Judah. And it actually says he rends his clothes, which is a sign of anguish. 
And this is clearly seen in what he then commanded as recorded in 2 Kings 22.13. He tells them, saying, Go ye inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according to all that which is written concerning us. So Josiah knew emphatically that God was angry for the sins of the people, and his reaction was to humble himself and inquire of the Lord. There was no arrogance saying, Who is the Lord that I should serve him? There was no ignoring what the scripture said. There was no looking for a loophole saying, well, maybe it doesn't mean what it says. There was only a heartfelt submission and humbleness before the authority of God. The Lord even acknowledges this when he is inquired of by the king, where it says, But to the king of Judah which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard. Because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes and wept before me. I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace, and thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And they brought the king word again. So the Lord's reaction to seeing Josiah's reaction to his words. It says, Because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord. It says he rent his clothes. It says he wept before the Lord. He humbled himself. And the Lord says, Because you heard my words and humbled yourself, I also have heard thee. It's interesting. It's very similar to whenever Hezekiah, Josiah's great-grandfather, was told by Isaiah the prophet, you know, the one who wrote the book, Isaiah, that he was going to die, and he should get everything ready. And before Isaiah had gone out of the court of the palace, it says, Hezekiah had prayed to the Lord. And it says he wept before him. And it says there, whenever Isaiah is told to turn around and go tell Hezekiah again, the Lord saying, I have seen thy tears, I have heard thee. And the Lord promised to spare King Josiah here because of his humility before him, really because he trembled at the word of the Lord. And the kingdom itself was going to be saved from the wrath of God during the reign of Josiah. The Lord said you would go to the grave in peace. And it's interesting what happens after the Lord's promise to spare Josiah and the kingdom during his life and reign. Josiah did something even more amazing. Some people would be like, oh, I've been given a promise by God that everything would be okay. And they would kind of lax up. But that's not what Josiah did. Josiah did something even more amazing. He deepened his commitment and devotion to the Lord. Solomon even did not do that. Solomon, whom the Lord appeared to twice, completely apostatized and actually built altars under the wicked pagan gods where even human sacrifice was allowed in his time. But it says here, Josiah deepened his commitment and devotion to the Lord. Let's read a little bit of it. 2 Kings 23, verses 1, well, we'll just read through 1 through 24. And the king sent, and they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests, and the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by a pillar. And made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, 
and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart and with all their soul, to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people stood to the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the door to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and for the grove and for all the host of heaven. And he burned them without Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried the ashes of them unto Bethel. And he put down the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in high places in the cities of Judah and in the places round about Jerusalem. Them also that burned incense unto Baal, to the sun, and to the moon, and to the planets, and to all the host of heaven. And he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord, without Jerusalem unto the brook Kidron, and burned it at the brook Kidron, and stamped it small to powder, and cast the powder thereof upon the graves of the children of the people. And he brake down the houses of the Sodomites that were by the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the grove. And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba and brake down the high places of the gates that were in the entering in of the gate of, of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on a man's left hand at the gate of the city. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places came not up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they did eat of the unleavened bread among their brethren. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom that no man might make his son or his daughter to pass through the fire to Molech. And he took away the horses that the kings of Judah had given to the son at the entering in of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech the chamberlain, which was in the suburbs, and burned the chariots of the son with fire. And the altars that were on the top of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, did the king beat down and break them down from thence, and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. And the high places that were before Jerusalem, which were on the right hand of the mountain of, mount of corruption, which Solomon the king of Israel had builded for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Zidonians, and for Chemosh the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom the abomination of the children of Ammon did the king defile. And he brake in pieces the images, and cut down the groves, and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel, in the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, had made both that altar and the high place he brake down, and burned the high place, and stamped it small to powder, and burned the grove. And as Josiah turned himself, he spied the sepulchres that were there in the mount, and sent, and took the bones out of the sepulchres, and burned them upon the altar, and polluted it, according to the word of the Lord which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. Then he said, What title is that that I see? And the men of the city told him, It is the sepulchre of the man of God which came from Judah, and proclaimed these things that thou hast done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, Let him alone. Let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet that came out of Samaria. And all the houses also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger, Josiah took away, and did to them according to all the acts that he had done in Bethel. And he slew all the priests of the high places that were up there upon the altars, and burned men's bones upon them, and returned to Jerusalem. And the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover unto the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. Surely there was not hold such a Passover from the days of the judges that judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel, nor of the kings of Judah. But in the eighteenth year of King Josiah, wherein this Passover was holden to the Lord in Jerusalem, 
Moreover, the workers with familiar spirits, and the wizards, and the images, and the idols, and all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem did Josiah put away, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest had found in the house of the Lord. Now that's a lot of reading, but one thing that you take away from Josiah in all of his actions. It's kind of hard to read through that and find a practical application for us today. We don't break down physical altars anymore. But what you take away, one thing at least I take away immediately from reading it every single time, is that he had no problem undoing traditions. It says he undid the works of Ahaz, Manasseh, and even Solomon. And he had no problem tearing down the things which they built because they were contrary to God's word. There was no feigned reverence for the things of man. Everything was to be examined. And it seems that as much as was in his power and under his authority, and even beyond such, because he also undid some of the works of the kings of Israel, which was not even part of the kingdom of Judah. And so he went into those parts, and undid their false altars and those things. And it's always amazing to me to read through, especially whenever you really lay it all out in a list of what Josiah did in his reign to bring things to the obedience of God. And I'll just read a, a list real quick. It's not as long as how long it took to read the chapters. But, and this list is, uh, I copied from Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. He puts it pretty succinctly. Here's a list of all that Josiah did just to obey the Lord. It says he destroyed all the altars of Baal. He then ground them into dust and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the heathen priests upon their own altars. He carried out these actions in distant Israelite cities as well as in his own kingdom. He repaired the temple of the Lord. He led his people in a massive repentance service upon the discovery of the law of Moses. He then had this book read to all his people. He planned for and presided over one of the greatest Passover services of all time. He killed heathen priests whom previous kings of Judah had appointed. He removed the idols from the temple. He tore down the houses of the Sodomites. He, broke back, he brought back to Jerusalem the priests of God who were living in other cities in Judah. He destroyed the altar of Topheth in the, in the Hinnom Valley so no one could offer human sacrifices upon it. He tore down the statues of horses and chariots which were dedicated to the use of the sun god located near the entrance of the temple. He destroyed the altars which Manasseh had built in the two courts of the temple. He removed the high places of Ashtoreth, Chemosh, and Milcom which Solomon had built for his many wives. He tore down the altar and high places at Bethel which Jeroboam the son of Nebat had made. He destroyed the high places on the hills of Samaria and he purged the land of mediums, which is workers with familiar spirits, Wizards, that's those who practice sorcery, sorry Harry Potter, and soothsayers. Now after going through that list of deeds by Josiah, many today would say that he was a something along the lines of, you can almost hear it coming from an emergent church preacher, tyrannical, bigoted, narrow-minded, holier-than-thou, sadistic, and hateful pig who had no tolerance for love of people. Well, it was well said by G.K. Chesterton that tolerance is for those without convictions. But how did God view Josiah's life? Well, in the very next verse, after going through all these things, this is what God records about Josiah in 2 Kings 23:25. 25. 
and like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart, and with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Neither after him arose there any like him. Now, I don't believe there can be a stronger testimony of a man's love and commitment to the Lord than that. And there are some things to consider, though, in Josiah's life. That verse should sound very similar to you if you are familiar with the New Testament scriptures. Now, in case you missed it, let me make the connection for you. It says in 2 Kings 23, 25, And like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart, and with all his soul, and with all his might. According to all the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. Now, set this right next to what Christians are commanded in Mark twelve twenty nine through 30. And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Now, in applying Josiah's life and these things to our life now as Christians under the new covenant, we see that the Lord specifically tells us in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 30, that the first and greatest commandment is almost the exact same thing as his own description of Josiah's love and devotion to the Lord. So let's consider some things from the life of Josiah. Well, it says that he sought the Lord whenever he seemingly had no example around him to pattern himself after in his youth. And there's too many people in the body of Christ, or at least in professing Christianity, too many people wait on others to do things before they will commit to the truth of Scripture themselves. There are people who read the Scriptures. They see that there is a difference. They see that God has said this is wrong. Or that is wrong. And that they see these things tolerated in their churches. And they say nothing. I remember whenever I was young in the Lord, I was taught certain things. I was taught that Scripture was the authority. And yet in the church then which I started in, the things that were allowed and done were completely contrary to what I was told. They say, well, no, you, if you live in fornication, we are told to separate from those. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And nevertheless, we had couples who had children out of wedlock, were not married, who were allowed to dedicate their children to the Lord. That's a contradiction. Where is the warning? Where is, well, God said this is wrong, and that's what we're going to stand on. Well, they allowed all sorts of things. We, My wife and I visited a church a couple, about two, three months ago, and there's copies of New Age books out on the table in the foyer. Jesus Calling. Jesus Calling is a New Age book. and professes another Jesus and another spirit. And these things are handed out to the people of the church, like devotionals. Whatever happened to the standard of Scripture? And there are people in some of these churches, it bothers them. And they just quietly continue because they don't want to upset the status quo. That's not what you're supposed to do. It says, whatsoever doth make manifest is light. It says, reprove the unfruitful works of darkness. We are commanded to. Now, yes, we are to be witnesses unto the lost in that sense, 
even though they are not Christians. Nevertheless, the Lord is their God. They are just in rebellion to him. But it says judgment must begin at the house of God. You have every right and authority to tell somebody within the body of Christ or a church building something is wicked and wrong if it is exactly what God said. And because it's not your authority, it's God's word that they are bucking against. So don't wait on other people to begin doing things. You look at the scriptures and follow it. Now immediately you see Josiah bringing everything that is under his authority to the obedience of God. And him being a king, that's quite a lot. But for us as Christians today, who are not kings in that sense, obviously, and this includes your house, your children, your job, your hobbies, your spare time, and the very thoughts and affections of your heart. Everything is to be brought to the obedience of Christ. We are specifically told this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We are told, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, whenever we look at the scriptures, people say, really, every thought? Well, that's impossible. No, God does not command impossible things. He specifically said that his commandments are not grievous. It is only impossible to those who do not have faith in Christ. And yes, that command is literal. Every thought and intent of your heart is to be brought under the obedience of Christ. And because God commanded it, it is certain to be possible through an abiding faith in Christ. And only a divided heart will fail at this, because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Remember, we are told in 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, Whosoever abideth in him, that's Christ, sinneth not. Continue to walk by faith and entire devotion to Christ, and he is able to keep you from falling. These are what the scriptures say. If you sin, confess it repent of it, and renew again your commitment to Christ, and ask him to teach you to abide more fully in him. There's one prayer that absolutely God has a desire to answer. It's you asking for him to teach you to obey him. Now, Josiah cleansed the land of false priests, and we can make an application here. False priests are representative of false worship, a false system of worship, false teaching. Christians are under no obligation to listen to false teachers or to put up with them. Christ told us how to identify them in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Paul told us to mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Romans sixteen seventeen. John said not to bless them because you would make yourself a partaker of their evil deeds. In 2 John, Jude said to earnestly contend for the faith against false teachers. You don't have to sit quietly by and just say, well, Lord, correct them. No, you contend with them. They are putting words in the Lord's mouth which he never said nor intended. And you have every authority as a Christian to say something. It doesn't matter if it's the pastor you do things in the right manner, of course. But you do not ever have to put up with false teaching. And Jesus Christ commended the church at Ephesus for testing those which said they were apostles and proving them to be liars. And I want you to consider that. In the first century, whenever 
there were apostles, men who had physically seen the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a church that is commended by Jesus Christ himself for examining those people who said they were and proving them to be liars. Now, in case people forgot, a preacher or a teacher is below an apostle. Now, if Jesus Christ commended the church at Ephesus for testing those which said they were apostles and proving them to be liars, you have every right and authority to examine the teachings and practices and traditions of a pastor or teacher. Understand this. You are under no obligation to just believe someone when they say they are a Christian. In fact, you were commanded to judge their fruits and their doctrine. Josiah destroyed every false altar and high place and every idol. Now, these are like the things of the world that are not of God, that people run to for comfort. People take comfort in their physical beauty or strength. Well, that's idolatry and self-confidence. People take comfort in self-help books and psychology to explain away and give excuse to sin. But God said he would keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. We are told to take every thought captive under the obedience of Christ. Most people watch movies, TV shows, look at things on the internet, read books, or play video games that blaspheme the name of Christ. You spend your time in those things which God hates and wonder why you are struggling or feeling dead spiritually. Put away those things which God hates and fix your affections on Christ. The Spirit of the Lord said by Jeremiah, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. In the book of Proverbs, we read in chapter 1, verse 23, Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. And Jesus Christ himself stated, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. John fourteen twenty one. So stop making excuses. Stop finding comfort and distraction in the things of this world. And find all your joy and satisfaction in doing those things that God has commanded. And unless you do that, you have no reason to complain about a single thing in your life or about why you don't feel the Lord. Feelings have nothing to do with serving the Lord. You serve Him or you don't. Joy will come when your heart is fixed to do His will and you are doing it. It is a voluntary, willful commitment of your soul to Christ and nothing less. Lastly, Josiah repaired and cleansed the temple of the Lord. In the Old Testament, the physical temple was a shadow of things to come. We have the reality of these things and not merely just the shadow. As Christians, under the New Covenant, we are told in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. A price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You, if you are a Christian, are the temple of God. Cleanse it in the name of the Lord. Every last vestige of self-confidence or self-esteem, get rid of it. Christians don't have self-esteem. We have God-esteem. We have no confidence in the flesh 
or our own works. We only have all confidence in God and Jesus Christ is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Literally, that's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. We have nothing without him. We are to glory in nothing else but that we know Christ. And we are nothing apart from him. We can't even pray to God the Father but through Christ's high priestly intercession, we are told in the book of Hebrews. He is our everything. Now, as it says in the book of Acts, purify your hearts by faith. With the same zeal that Christ had on earth to cleanse the the physical temple of the Lord with a scourge of cords, you ought to be cleansing the temple of the Lord that you have. Now, do you think that Christ will have less desire for you to be cleansed than a physical building? Think about it. Now, in conclusion and just closing, there are a few people in churches today who are disillusioned. They see in the scriptures one standard, and in their churches and experience, they see another. Well, let God be true, but every other man a liar. God is always correct. Go by his standard and seek it. We're told by Christ that where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. You're wanting a positive feeling or emotions or experiences, and you're not going to get them by seeking positive feelings, emotion, or experiences, or by imitating other people's experiences. These things will only come when your heart is fixed by faith, which is confidence and trust in Jesus Christ. Make him the treasure of your heart and pleasing him the highest aim and desire of your life. And don't wait for others to lead the way. Don't wait for a church or ministry to tell you what to do. It's not in a method. It's not in a system. It's not in a checklist. It is in a person. God has made all provision for you to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil himself. It is the simplicity of Christ, we are told. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Hebrews 11.6 And in 1 John chapter 5, verses 2-5, through 5, we read, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Walk in the reality that Jesus is Lord. All power in heaven and in earth is given to him. That's a fact. Walk by faith in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Pray by faith in that fact. And you will see that overcoming is the only result possible. God has promised and he cannot lie. Thank you for listening to Remnant Bible Fellowship. We do hope and pray that you would commit your life to Christ and continue in Him. We desire to see people seeking Jesus Christ and coming to know Him personally. If you have questions about salvation, the Bible, or your own walk with Christ, please contact Brother Jonathan by email. Brother John, that's J-O-N, at remnantbiblefellowship.com. That's Brother John at remnantbiblefellowship.com.